So shall it be in Jesus' name we pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for making this a reality. Thank you for removing every obstacle, every hindrance, every barrier. We appreciate you, Lord. We say that you receive our thanks in Jesus' name. Lord, we ask that this will not be in vain in Jesus' name. You will touch us. You will purge us. You will revive us. You will transform us. And you prepare us for a greater role in your church in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please greet your friends. Say you are welcome in Jesus' name. Welcome another person. You are welcome in Jesus' name. Okay, the Lord bless you in Jesus' name. Please have your seat and may the Lord bless you. If you have the conference program in your hand, it's a sheet that is in the conference uh, material. You can see that uh, we are trying to keep to our time. We believe in being time conscious. So, while we, others we are on their way, we'll start right on time. And from today till Friday, by God's grace, I'll be taking the first teaching. And that'll be based on uh, church goes secrets of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Though I've done part of it before somewhere, some of you will remember, but I will try to cover much more ground. And you know, in the course of teaching it, I've discovered more that were not there before. So all the same, they are going to be very new to you in Jesus' name. Even if you have heard them before, one way or the other, the Lord will bring them in a powerful way to your life and to your ministry in Jesus' name. Now, this is a conference that is organized by Leadership uh, Education for African Pastors. Our beloved man of God, Reverend Dr. Etiola, from the U.S., uh, has this passion to help pastors in Africa. So that's why it's packaging this conference together. We in Church Group are just helping to put it together. And uh, the material you see in your hand he will be speaking more on that when he comes up and several, several other packages and benefits that is in store for every participant of this conference. Meanwhile, let's start with uh, the church group principles of Jesus. Now, before I give you those principles one by one, I need to build a foundation and a background. Now, if you read your Matthew in chapter 16, verse number 18, your Bible, in Matthew chapter 16, verse number 18, Jesus says, he was talking, he was answering, Peter dead. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against that church. That is Jesus, and that's a very popular passage. Jesus is the one building his church through instrumentalities like you and I. Those of us who are pastors and ministers of today, we need to come to this realization that we are not the first one that will do this work. We are not the first person that will become ministers. We are not the first person that will be pastors. We are not the first group of people that will become leaders, found churches, and lead those churches. Jesus himself was the one who founded the church, who started the church, and who started the building of the church. Now, he said it there in, in that Matthew 16, I will build my church. Of course, after his ascension to heaven, uh, he's using human beings like you and I to build our church, having deposited various kinds of gifts and graces into our life so that the church 
can be what he wants the church to be. But even prior to that time, he lay us an examples of how the church should be built. And today, if you really want to build the church according to the pattern of our Lord Jesus Christ, not according to your own empire and your wisdom, you need to look at the scripture over and over again and see those principles that Jesus used to build the church in the first place. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 11, the Bible says, Jesus is the founder, is the foundation of the church. The other foundation can no man lay, except that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He has laid the foundation for us. He is the head of the church. He is the founder of the church. He is the foundation of the church. And there are steps, there are principles that he has used to grow the first church, which every believer and every leader, every minister, and every one of us that is involved with the church of Jesus Christ, will do ourselves a lot of good by looking at those principles again. Amen. You know, today, there are so many writings, and there are so many preachers, there are so many conferences you attend, and they will teach you about church growth principles and church growth methodology. Those things. I believe that why some of them will work, but we should really go back to Jesus and see how he did the church. Now let me, let me, let me just remind you how, what happened uh, during his earthly ministry. Now, when Jesus came, according to those who taught us Christology, and when you read your Bible very well, Jesus was full man and full God. And while he was here doing his ministry on, on earth, he suspended his God attributes. So he operated ministry like a full-blooded human being, like you and I. And there are passages of scriptures that confirms that. For example, there's this passage in Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus was talking about the events of the last time. You know, he made a statement and said that of that time and of that hour, that the world will come to an end, or that the Son of Man will come back, or that things, the rapture will happen, I don't know it. Even the angels in heaven don't know it. It is only known by my Father in heaven. Now what does that tells us? If Jesus was operating at a full God, why he was there, he should know. And you know he doesn't tell lies. So most of what he did, and you can read in passages where the Bible says he was hungry, he was tired, he was sleepy, he was angry, he was all that. Those are attributes of a full human being. Now what I'm trying to establish is this. When Jesus was here, his earthly ministry, all he did was his human aspect of it. What, what am I saying that? So that you and I can have hope that what he achieved, we too can achieve it. Do I hear your amen? Okay, as, I, as an evangelist, as a minister, he did ministry for just three and a half years, and this is the result. He started alone. Okay, sorry for your information. What I'm teaching is not in your material. So you need to write it down. Everything should not be in your material. The money you pay cannot cover this one in your material. So the Lord will help you. Okay. He started alone. Then he won 12 disciples. Then the 12 became 70. They grew to 70. And by the time it was going, the Bible said there were 120 in the upper room that were there praying. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse number 6 also tells us that during his ascension, 
Over 500 brethren saw him. By approximation, 600. You know, some of us have taught, and I've been to Bible school like that, where they taught us that all the disciples of Jesus, all the membership he won, was just 120. No, it, it simply means that it is the 120 that appear in the prayer meeting. It's not all your members that comes to prayer meeting. So First Corinthians 15 was one, 15 verses was one that gave us the correct picture say, at his ascension, over 500 brethren saw him. Not men and women. The Bible didn't say over 500 men and women. No, the Bible says over 500 brethren saw him. In other words, in just three and a half years, the church of Jesus Christ grew from him coming alone, started the work, and three and a half years, approximately 600 disciples. 600 brethren. Now, even after he left, there was an explosive growth in actual apostles because the actual apostle was the continuation of his ministry. It was a continuation of the principles that he, he placed down. So the Bible says, much more people came to the law until the people of Jerusalem were accusing the disciples. You have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Now, church history says, eventually in Jerusalem, there were more than 100,000 souls that were won unto the Lord. It was when they were not moving out and they were not evangelizing, they were not reaching out, that the Bible says God sent them a persecution and they scattered abroad, preaching everywhere. Eventually, it was written concerning them that these are the ones that turned the world upside down. And you know, since then, more than 2,000 years ago, that those incidents have taken place, the church has grew in strength, in power, in grace and glory. You know, I hear a lot of comments about the church. Some people say, hey, the church is lukewarm. Yes. The church is uh, backsliding. Yes. The church is not what the church should be. Yes. Therefore, God will do away with the church. No. He will push the church. He will wash the church. In recorded history, the church is the most singular organization or movement that has defied kings, defied communism, defied Islam, defied potentates, defied emperors. Nobody can kill the church. Say amen. And in recorded history, the church has grown more than any other human organization. Of course, there are weaknesses here and there. Of course, things are not perfect. Of course, because wherever you find human beings, there will be human attributes. That's why I do tell people there's no perfect church. And they, even if there's a perfect church, the day a human being joins that church, that church becomes imperfect. Oh, think about me. You are blessed. Now let me comment briefly on principles, the power of principles. There are methods, there are strategies, there are systems, but principles are constant. Because they are based on the undiluted word of God. Now, in my research of church growth, I discovered that there are five major ways that people teach and practice church growth. Now, number one, I talk about the faithfulness approach. Those are people that believe, believe that God has called us to be faithful, not to be successful. That's a traditional approach. And we have a lot of traditional churches. In traditional churches, the usual refrain is this, as it was in the beginning... So it is now, and so shall it ever be. Churches like that don't grow. When you have a traditional approach, a traditional mindset, you refuse to change. And when you refuse to change, change will change you. And I hear leaders who said, God has not called us to grow. He has only called us to be faithful. Well, the truth of the matter is that if you are faithful, you must be successful. Now, the second approach is the one I call the 
model approach where we teach a lot of methods. Now, in the model approach, you see people like Peter Wagner, you see people like, uh, like, uh, this guy that wrote, uh, Purpose Driven Church, Rick Warren. And you see many others who wrote books and who tried to teach us what they did in their church that make their churches to grow. And the basic underlying principle is that if you follow what I did, your own church will grow. But the weakness is churches are in different communities and different places with different people, different approach and different environments. That's why those approach don't really work. But it works for some people, but it doesn't work for majority. Number three, we have the breakthrough approach. That's the one I call success approach. Somebody teach about success, about breakthrough, about open doors, about finances, about miracles, about signs, about wonders. If you can practice that, your own church will grow. Where? Why the church will grow on one, one line of truth, one emphasis, but it won't be a balanced growth. At the end of the day, the growth also will peter out. Then there's a personality approach. I am like this, I'm bishop, I'm reverend, I'm apostle, I have a, uh, I'm high and there in the society. My personality is so, so high, I'm so anointed, I'm this and that. So our personality, personality magnetizes people to us. That's why you see pastors, they develop their personality, not the personality of Jesus. In churches like that, the approach is that build the work on the personality, on the gift, on the charisma of the preacher. But we have discovered that churches like that don't last. When that minister died, the church died. Even before he died, once he falls into a scandal, the church scatters. Of course, you can see, we can see carcasses of so many of those churches all around us. Now, those are ways, some of the ways, they may not be all, but those are some of the ways that I've discovered that we build our churches today. Now, let me come to the fifth one. The fifth one is the principal approach. Now, in the principal approach, you build a church on the undiluted word of God. That's the one I call the scriptural approach. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. And I'll be sharing with you every morning till Friday by God's grace. That's the scriptural approach. That's doing it the way Jesus did it. And principle, because it's built on the word of God, it will remain constant. And when you build that church on principles, then... That church will last. Hello? Am I still talking to somebody? Okay. If you want to build this church, not your own empire, then you must follow these principles. I'll pick it from the lowest. I'll extract the life of Jesus. I may not pick everything, but I'll pick the major, major ones that help him to build the church like I've told you. He started alone. And in three and a half years, he built a church up to 600 brethren. And even after his demise, after he was gone, the church moved faster and grew more after he was gone than when he was here. That means he has laid a solid foundation for that church. Now you and I, we should be asking ourselves questions. Supposing you are not around for three weeks, what happens to your church? Supposing you are not... Supposing you are not around, what happens? One month you are not around, two more, the church has gone down. You are doing a year work. Okay, you are a pastor in a denominational church, but they transfer you from that church, took you to another church. And the moment you were transferred, that church almost closed down, break away. You've done a nasty job. That was not the principle of Jesus. 
when he left, the church grew better than when he was around. But that's not what, that's not what we are replicating today. Now allow me to give you some principles. I don't know how many I will cover this morning, but I'll try. I'll aim to cover ten. I'll aim for ten this morning. Maybe tomorrow I can aim for ten. Then the Friday I can also aim for about fourteen, fifteen. Hello? Am I still communicating? Number one, Jesus prepared himself for ministry. He prepared himself. He did not just appear on the screen, on the scene. After he was born, you know, at the age of 12, we have a glimpse of his potential. We have a glimpse of what he wants to do. He was in the temple asking questions and uh, 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 answering questions. And he said things that made the daughters of the law amazed. But that was all we heard. He was lost for three days. And his mother and his father, physical one now, Mary and Joseph, they came searching for him. And uh, why, why? You've been allowing me and your mother to trouble you for, to, to, to be troubled for three days. He said, wish you not that I must be about my father's business. You know, that was the last we heard about him at the age of 12. We never heard again until 30. What did he do for those 18 years? Preparation. Hello? He did not just appear. Because he realized that if you appear before your time, you must disappear. He prepared. He understood that preparation time is not wasted time. He understood that private preparation leads to public manifestation. He understood that it will take God time to make you as a preacher, as a leader, as a man of God. So he took time to prepare before he appeared. And you know that is a principle we need to follow today. Today we, we appear too early. One of the greatest demerits of the church of today is that we have a lot of half-baked, uncooked ministers. Ministers that have not been at the university of God for God to teach and train them and prepare them for the task. Once you have one gift, one grace, you show one promise, God is working, things are happening, one headache went away, you preached during the middle service, one, uh, one person got to you, you are ready for ministry. And even we pastors, the moment somebody is showing a promise, we push the person forward early and we kill them. Jesus took time to prepare. Hello? To build a godly and great ministry calls for proper, proper and profound preparation. And you know, preparation is not once and for all. Preparation is a lifelong process. And you know, if I understand God at all, everything happening in your life, both your sin, your mistake, your rising, your falling, your challenges, your crisis, your problems, and whatever you pass through, they are part of your preparation process. But you many of us, we won't allow God to prepare us. The moment we have this revelation, we have this dream, we have this thing, we are ready to run out. Allow me to say this to you. The calling of God is not the sending of God. In between the calling and the sending of God, 
there is a time to prepare. God deliberately took David to the wilderness to be prepared. And you know, the Bible talks about John the Baptist, that he was in the wilderness until the day of his appearing to Israel. When you don't prepare, you are going to mess up big time. Oh, you can see our super eagles. How can they? It is not justifiable for a team that prepared for just about one month to beat a team that has been preparing for four years. It's impossible. Of course, you and I wanted them to win. But the preparation is the difference. When you don't prepare thoroughly, look at them meeting goals that shouldn't be missed. You should not be aptly minded. You should be heavenly minded. Amen. It is a crime for a man not to be ready when his time comes. It's a big crime. Whatever God wants to do through you, whatever promise he has for you, he has to prepare you. Remember, he sent Joseph to prison to be prepared. He sent him to the house of Potiphar to be prepared. Even David, after the wilderness experience, he sent him to the palace to go and be the armor bearer of King Saul so that he can see what is happening in the palace. But today, we change the order today. It's as if God is too slow for us. We don't allow him to prepare us. And by the time the pressure of ministry comes, we mess up big time. Please. It should be a prayer that you should be praying, God, prepare me and keep on preparing me. The greater thing God will lay, I mean, we, we do in your life and your ministry will be determined by how long you prepare. Preparation is the real work. You know, Jesus said, He that knoweth, that servant that knoweth his lost will, that's Luke chapter 12, verse 47. The servant that knoweth his lost will and did not prepare shall be beaten with many stripes. Most of us, God has shown us visions and revelations and things He wants to do. And you know, if you don't understand God, what God wants to do in 20 years time, he will show it to you as if it will happen tomorrow morning. No. He must prepare. I will never forget a story that was told by one of my preachers in those days. Told the story of a brother. He told the story of a brother who was in the university. He was about to do his final exam in two weeks time. Suddenly the brother had a vision. Thank you sir. The brother had a vision of burning hair. He saw souls burning in hair. And the vision was so real and vivid and arresting and captivating. When the brother woke up, you know, he forgot his exam and took the home speaker and he started going around the campus. Give your life to Jesus. Hell fire is burning. Hell is coming. Give your life to Christian. I mean, Jesus. Other, other colleagues of Cosme say, brother, your exam is waiting. Let us do exam. He said, no, I can't do this exam. I must preach the gospel. And he failed to do this exam. And the university rusticated him. And he went preaching. And you know that fire only carried him for about two, three months. 
After that three months, the fire died down. Then about a year later, he came back that he wants to do his exam. Unfortunately, today, the brother is not in the ministry. He is there in the academic world. Now, what was the mistake? He made the mistake that the, the, the calling of God is the sending of God. God was just telling him that this is what I want to do with you. I want to use you. But it's time to prepare. Raise up your right hand in prayer. Lord, every preparation that I need to fulfill my destiny, let me pass through it. In the name of Jesus. Number two, Jesus did ministry with a clear purpose and vision. In Matthew 1 21, it was said of him that he shall give back to his son, and that shall call his name Jesus, and he shall save his people from their sins. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it was written about him that for this purpose the Son of God is manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he said. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He knew his purpose. He knew his vision. He knew why he came. And he pursued it to the letter. He knew that he came to save the world. And he refused to be distracted or seduced by other interests. You remember in John chapter 6, verse 14 to 16, they wanted to make him king. So that he can be preparing food for them. But Jesus said no. In John chapter 9 verse 4. He said I must do the works of him that sent me. While it is day. The night cometh. When no man can walk. He pursued his vision. He was clear about the vision. He was clear about his purpose. And he focused on it. He refused to be distracted. He refused to be seduced. That is the principle of ministry, my brother. And if you are going to grow the church, grow your ministry, grow your life, and please God, you must go back to your vision. You know when I hear preachers say God has called them <laughs> to contest for presidency, governor, senator, uh, local government chairman, political something. To me, my conclusion is that this one, God did not call them, or they have lost the call. Because the Bible that says the harvest is ripe, the laborers are few. How can God take those few laborers and release another one to go to secular? And I see so many people in ministry who have lost their vision. They don't know why they are there. Some people, God called them as evangelists. They are working as pastors. That's where you will die. Some people, God called them to go. And they are staying. Hey, remember the young prophet. He was told to go to the city and come and don't stay. Be on your way. But you know, apparently, because of the success he had, he waited. He rested when he should not rest. And that's where death catch up with him. I pray that will not be your portion. Say better, amen. You must rediscover your vision. You must discover your purpose. Because once you lose vision, you have lost everything. You can't make your vision. It is your vision that will make you. You need to get to a point in your life and say, God, why am I here? What did you call me to do? 
are not called to do everything. You are called to do specific things. Somebody, I asked somebody, what are you preaching? He said, I'm preaching the whole Bible. I said, you must be crazy. You can't preach the whole Bible. God is not foolish enough to give you the whole Bible. Even the four Gospels were given to four people to write. Gospel according to Matthew, according to Luke, according to Mark, according to John. And they wrote the same incident, but from different perspectives. Now I said, God will give you a message to preach. Don't be a messenger without a message. You will preach the Bible according to like me, I'm preaching the whole Bible according to church growth. According to leadership. That's what I'm preaching. Somebody will preach it according to marriage. Somebody will preach it according to youth. Somebody will preach it according to deliverance. Somebody will preach it according to miracles. Somebody will preach it according to families and whatever, whatever. Find out your own vision. Find out what he has called you to do and stay there. If he has called you to go, don't you ever stay. Focus on your vision. Because when you lose vision, you have lost the real reason to live. When Noah had a vision, he did not see when others were sinning. When Noah lost his vision, he started sinning when others had stopped sinning. Hello? Did you hear that? When Noah had a vision, he built an ark for the Lord. And he did not participate in the sin, in the corruption that the people were sinning. Because he had a vision. He had seen the unseen. But when he lost his vision, he became a drunkard. And he started sinning when others have stopped sinning. When David had a vision, he took Jerusalem from the Jebusites, built it to the headquarters. And defeated every one of his enemies. But when he lost his vision, it was only a woman oh, that made him to fall. When Samson had a vision, oh, the Philistines were in trouble. He, he killed them and destroyed them and finished them. But when he lost his vision, ah, he was even the one that revealed his secret to his enemy that is sitting on his lap. May you not lose your vision. I can't hear your amen. That one did not have no dark approved number. You want to build a church? You want to build a ministry? Build it according to its divine vision and purpose. Hello? Number three. Is it number three? Jesus drew from the wisdom of mentors, forerunners, and leaders before him. Jesus knew that there were leaders that were there before he came. He drew from their wisdom. How do I know that? Jesus respected and honored the leaders above him or before him. He went to the religious leaders of his day and learned from them. That was when he went to the, to the, to the synagogue. He came to John the Baptist, but, uh, uh, John the Baptist to be baptized of him. And John the Baptist said, no. It is me that should be baptized of you. He said, no. It is our portion to fulfill all righteousness. And when he went to the synagogue, the Bible says he was asking questions and answering questions. He knew that there were leaders ahead of him. He knew 
that he had fathers and mentors. And you know, he needed John the Baptist as a forerunner to introduce him to the world. That's a wonderful one. Now let me say this to you. There's no way you can build a successful ministry. There's no way you can be a successful minister of the gospel if you discontinue and you despise and you don't value the wisdom of fathers and leaders and mentors. Now I've heard a lot of preachers say all that I'm teaching, I didn't learn it from anybody. Then you teach error. And I've seen a lot of people teaching errors. Because they never submit their teaching for verification. I don't have fathers. Jesus is my father. You must have fallen down from heaven. I don't have mentors. I don't believe in anybody. Then you have a big problem. Jesus recognized that some people were ahead of him. And he got questions from there. You get to a point in your ministry that you are confused. You need wisdom. You get to a point in ministry, you pray, 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 pray. No answer seems to be forthcoming from heaven. You need to have leaders you go to and ask questions. Sir, how do we do this? When you got to this junction in your ministry, sir, how did you survive this? Of course, I'm aware that a lot of mentors are tormentors. Of course, I'm aware that so many of people who call mentors, they are torment, uh, they are mentorator. But you choose your own carefully. Because foreigners are mentors. Will give you deep insights. They will save you from many mistakes. They will multiply your anointing. They give you a great platform. Brethren, there is no way you can run in this ministry without somebody giving you a platform. Sincerely. You know, there, there comes a time, no matter the level of your anointing, you need a platform to minister. How many people can you gather on your own? Okay, last week I was in, I was in London. We were doing our first church growth conference in London. You know, we advertised it. Some people didn't believe it, but we did it last. That was okay. The, last weekend, that was eleven and twelve. Friday and Saturday. Can you believe that we have more than three hundred people in attendance, pastors and leaders in London? But is it my doing? No. I borrowed somebody's platform. I climb on the influence of somebody who is who is strong on the land. Of course, it's our conference. We paid all the bills, both the hotel, the aircraft, everything, everything, registration, everything. We paid everything. I ship books from here to there, but I climb on somebody's platform. I borrow somebody's platform. Since then, now I'm building my own. But I have to borrow his own first because he's a man that is strong on the land and he has integrity. He has a value system like me. Ah, 300 people in your first conference. Even when we started in Nigeria here, we didn't have 300 people. We have 20, 21 people. But over there, if it don't take so long, you will need somebody's platform to rise in life. If John the Baptist, I mean, if Jesus need John the Baptist to introduce him, you will need people to introduce you. And you see, you have to build relationships. Because most of us, even that say, hey, he's my mentor, he's my father, he's my forerunner, he's this thing, I need it. We are only doing it because we want to use him as a ladder to climb up. And when we climb up, we throw away the ladder. 
That's not the right spirit. Number five. Four. Okay, John Law. Jesus was a responsible and committed church member. That's another principle. Before you will lead the church, <laughs> you must know the church. He was a responsible and committed church member. If you read Luke chapter 4, verse number 16, he said that on the synagogue, on the Sabbath, as his custom was, that's the key word, it was the custom of Jesus. Luke chapter 4, verse 16, it was the custom of Jesus to come to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And what was that custom? To read the lesson. It was his custom. Who were the leaders of the synagogue in those days? Foolish Pharisees, sinful Pharisees, ungodly Pharisees. But Jesus submitted himself under them. You know, one sister, we're asking one sister, hey, which church do you belong to? Oh, she said, I'm an international Christian. I belong to every church. That's not the will of Jesus. You must be a responsible member of a church. You must stay in a church and use your gifts and graces in that church. Hey, I don't like that church. Find the one you like and stay there. Hey, I don't accept the leadership of that church. Find the one you accept their leadership and stay there. He went to church regularly because the Bible said that was his custom. He believed in the church and he was a committed member of the church. Yes. He submitted himself to be led by the Pharisees and Sadducees of the day. And he was the one that usually read the lesson. He was a worker. He assembled with other saints. You remember Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25. That we should not forsake the assemblies of ourselves together. As the manner of some is. Now I know a lot of preachers that have lost their life. Because they were never a church member. And I've heard a lot of preachers. The moment I got saved. I did not serve in any church. I became a pastor right, right away. Let's watch him. He will soon mess up. Before you can pastor others. You have to be pastored first. Before you can lead others, you must have been led. You must have worked under somebody. But most of all, we don't work under anybody. And especially those of you who are freelance preachers. You move from church to church, from station to station, from travel to travel. I met somebody in London. Uh, in Nigeria here, you have to get a passport, international passport, before you will see him. But over there, I don't feel the good, didn't you? Hey, and you know he was patronizing me. Ah, I've been hearing much about you. Hey, which one did you hear? Positive or negative? Hey, you see, he even saw vision for me. The point I want to raise about him is this. When we we're conversing in a church, he said he has left home for about four weeks. That he's going back home next week, Tuesday. Then. But two weeks later, when I asked the, his host pastor, because the day I was coming back, Sunday night, I called his host pastor. I said, look, if you don't come, you'll see what I will do to you. So he came. I said, about uh, Bishop. And he said, he's still around. Hey? He hasn't gone. He said, he's still around. Now that means that man has left home for six weeks. Preaching. Collecting the almighty dollar. Or the almighty pound. And the home is left with nothing. It's only God that can sustain people like that. When will they not fall away from the faith? And you know, many of us in our administration will just run here and there. We are never a regular member of a church. That's not the perfect will of God. Jesus wants us to identify with a church. Let me give you a food for thought. Let me give you a food for thought. Maybe you haven't looked at it this way before. 
Look at what I want to say. Salvation will get us to heaven. Provided you maintain your salvation. You live godly, you live righteously, you obey the Lord, you do the will of the Lord, you run away from your sins. Salvation will get you to heaven. But you know what? Salvation will never reward you in heaven. Because that's not part of the promise. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and you will inherit eternal life. That's a promise. He's silent on your position, your reward. What will reward us in heaven? Our service. And what is that service? It must start from his church. Using our gifts, our grace, our talents, our privileges, our opportunities, our treasures to serve the Lord and serve his church. And whatever you do in a church, you are not doing it for anybody. You are doing it for Jesus. Now go back home and teach your members that. And you as a pastor, as a leader, let that sink into your ears. Sometimes you need to leave the pulpit and sit down. Forget all this, your titles, all this, your menon, uh, nomenclatures, and be a member. You know, I was joking with our shop. Okay, we were, on Sunday, we were in the church. So, uh, we were sitting down there, and they were making an announcement. They said, if you are fellowshipping with us for the first time, stand up. So, I was nudging our shop. I said, stand up and go and give your life to Christ. At least this is your first time of worshiping this church. I said, the first time I worship you also, I too went forward and give my life to Christ. So, we're not fire for Jesus. Okay, he was smiling. But sometimes we should do like that. Hello. Are you still around? Number five. Jesus started ministry with protracted prayers, seeking God and spiritual warfare. He did not just start ministry, bam! He started in fasting and prayers. He started by seeking the face of the Lord. That's Matthew chapter 4, verse, 11, verse 1 to 11. Jesus took time to pray fast and see the face of God at the onset of his ministry. He equally maintained this habit throughout his ministry. According to Mark 1, 35, he rose up early to pray. According to Luke chapter 6, verse 12 to 16, he sought the Lord. Even before he chose disciples, he prayed. He built his work on prayer. And by prayer. He thought that the church must be a true house of prayer. When he got to the church, he see those who are selling and buying and doing the Bible says he drew them away and said it is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer. He drew God's power into the world by intensive praying. You know the truth? Church growth is sixty percent prayer. And 40% principles and methods. If you don't pray, how can your church grow? Now I've seen churches that is not built on this principle. Built on human psychology. Motivational speaking. Rasmatash. We gather people. Let me tell you. You don't need to follow church growth. These principles to gather people. Hitler gathered many people. Did you hear that? Who did I say gather many people? Hitler, the, the, the fact that you gather crowds doesn't mean it is from God. Can you use all the marketing gimmicks, all the advertising tools to gather people. But the true mark of the work of God is that are those people transformed? Like I was teaching my class on Monday. I was telling them, I said, <laughs> many of us, our ministry pays us, but it doesn't pay heaven. 
And that's the truth of the matter. Your ministry pays you. Since you are being in ministry, uh, through your rasmatas and the gimmick and the preaching and the prayer, you have bought a car. You build your house. You send your children to school. You have even traveled abroad. Money is coming in. Your needs are being met. It pays you. But when heaven looks down on that ministry, heaven is weeping. Why? Because virtually nobody is transformed. People that have been coming to your church in the last five years, they are still the same. And when they come to church on Sunday, what do you do? You cajole them, you rasmatize them, you massacre, ah, you do a lot of gimmicks to collect their offering. Once they pay their offering, everything is okay. God is at work. And what, what testimonies do we see in churches today? You know, I'm, I'm careful to be reading the humbies and the flyers and the testimony of churches. People, what they write at the back of their humbies. You know what I discover? It's, it's long. Maybe about 10 years ago, before I read the testimony, I say, I thank God. I was an arm robber. I was a fornicator. I was an adulterer. When I came to this church, when the preaching was going on, light shined on my soul and I was transformed. My life has never remained the same. It's long I read that kind of testimony. What are the ones I've been reading? When I came to this commission, when I came to this church, nine months ago, I was coverless, I was wifeless, I was childrenless, I was houseless, I was jobless, I was financeless, I was everything less. But nine months later, I have my fleet of cars, I have children, I have wives, I have all those, and people say, praise the Lord. Imagine that testimony. Have wives, have children, have fleet of cars, have traveled abroad, have built my houses. In nine months! I'm not cajoling you, I'm not telling you what I didn't see. I saw this testimony in the newspapers of a church advertising their December program. I would say, praise God, God is working. If you come too, that will happen to you. Please, spare me this. All the parameters we use to measure ministry success today, they are not worth it. Okay, well, how do we know your ministry succeeding? And my members are buying cars, they are building their houses, they have good jobs, I have senators, I have governors as my members, and God is working. Fine. Is that the sign that God is working? Pray me. Our own believers not buying cars. Answer. Are they not traveling abroad? Our unbelievers not building houses. Our unbelievers not doing great things in this world. Even without knowing God. And you know our ministry can never make impact. The greatest impact your ministry can make is transformation. Transformation of heart and life. Transformation, transforming people from darkness to light. From serving Satan to serving God. People say from their sin. Sinners to saints. That's the greatest. Of course, others, God will join in. Those ones are extra. You remember your Bible? Seek it first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Every other thing shall be added. But it is those additions that we are saying is the hallmark. And why? Because we can't pray again. And we don't pray. And you know when you don't pray And you don't turn the church into a house of prayer As a leader you don't pray You are full of activities running here and there No time to see the face of God Spirituality will never be in the church It is by prayer That we can draw down the spirit The power and the spirituality Into the work 
It is then people will be transformed. People will be changed. People will be healed. People will be, I mean, the power of sin will live their life. It only answers to prayers. The pastor is a prayer man and the church is a praying church. They write prayers. I need to clarify that. Because there are so many prayers we pray today. There are no prayers. It doesn't go past this roof. Prayers that we pray and we are not living rights. Oh, have you read the book of Proverbs? That say, he that block his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomic country. Okay, nation. And so many of us today, we don't hear the word of God, we don't live right, we don't do anything, but we want prayers. Now one of the reasons I stopped my television program is that I don't like the way people call me. After I preach a big message, a good message, a salvation heaven, somebody will call me, yes, I pray for me. I say, I'm not a prayer merchant. You give your life to Christ and do the right thing. If a man's way pleases the Lord, he make it even his enemies to be at peace with him. Our enemy is so powerful. Everything is enemy, enemy, enemy. We are our greatest enemy. If your way is right with the Lord and you are doing the will of the Lord, enemies, it is God that will destroy your enemy, even without praying about them. He prayed. He built his church on prayer. When leaders cannot pray, demons will take over in the church. And today, demons have taken over. Occultic powers are at work in the church. Demonic activities on, is on the high. And you know, this is Africa. If you don't pray and do warfare, how can the church grow? We must turn the church into the house of prayer. Must build prayer school. Build prayer week. Build prayer emphasis. Everybody a prayer warrior. We must also even go to the extent of having intercessors for the church that are being paid to intercede. We must bring the power of prayer to the church. In churches where people say prayer is too much, demons have taken over. Number six. Jesus built his life and his ministry on the undiluted word of God. I think I will stop at that. He built his life and his ministry on the undiluted word of God. Jesus lived, he believed, he practiced, and walked according to the word of God that has been written concerning him. Often and often, when you read the epistles, you read this passage. You read, have you ever read this phrase? And it, as it was written concerning him. And as it was written concerning him. And as it was written concerning him. At another place it will say, that it might be fulfilled. Which was spoken by prophet, either Isaiah, concerning him. Everything he did was according to the word of God. Hello? He did all his ministry in fulfillment of the very word of God. He lived to fulfill the scriptures. Luke 4, 17, 17, 21. Even when he was said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he has anointed me to preach the gospel, to set the captive free, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Say, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. That was the principle of Jesus. The word of God had a preeminent place in his ministry. You know today, 
I see a lot of world church and the world Bible church, the world gospel church, the world this thing. But when you go there, they are not preaching the world. They are just spicing the world. Just spice it. They are not preaching the undiluted word of God. You know today in churches, we don't build on this principle. Even churches that say we believe in the world. What I've discovered is that we don't believe the world. It's only that we believe one section of the world. And we do so many things. We just spice it with scriptures. That's how you see preachers. They will take one line of truth and run along and misinterpret it. Imagine a preacher who was talking about marriage to his members and he said, Proverb says, He that findeth a wife, findeth a good thing. Brethren, the Bible says, Find! Don't pray. Find! Stop praying. Start to find. Because it's not thoughts. Just one line of truth. If he knows his Bible, you will know that line of all. How do you find? Who do you know? And if I tell you story of what people find, ah, one of them acquired the hill, and he's got the hair preaching from the bishop. You know, today we preach the diluted word of God. You know what they call dilution? Because when they say the undiluted word of God, he's pregnant. You know, okay. Maybe you bring a Coca-Cola here. A bottle of Coke. Now, if you want to dilute it, you bring lots of water and you add it. The more water you, you add to it, it still has the coloring. But the real power is gone because it has been diluted. Okay, look at those your yellow orange juice that you bought and they say you can dilute it with five cups of water. Uh-huh. With five cups of water, it just has a taste. But by ten cups of water, what happened? That's what we preach today. We have diluted the word. It has lost its meaning. Imagine somebody preaching repentance the other day and say, repentance does not mean weeping and crying. Repentance means action. Dilute it. And somebody come around. I have a prophecy. Somebody say, you have bought a pregnancy yesterday and you are still sad. Why are you sad? Why are you sad? The Lord has forgiven you. Come here, let me pray for you. Weary. We dilute it. Now let me say this to you in closing. Only the undiluted word of God is the surest foundation for life and ministry. You want that ministry to get to heaven? And you want that ministry to endure? Please build it on this word. That was Jesus built his ministry on. It was written concerning him. As a corner party. Even when Satan came, he said, It is written. That shall not tempt the Lord your God. Compare scripture with scripture. You know, I often tell people, if you want to perish, you will see Bible passage that will support you. And if you want to go to heaven, you will see Bible passage that will support you. I once went to a Bible school that the, we later learned, I later learned, I didn't know that before I got there. I later learned that the, 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 the man who was the Bible school is a polygamist. It's a concurrent polygamist. You know there are two kinds of polygamists. There's successive polygamy. And there's concurrent polygamy. Or there's simultaneous polygamy. And successive polygamy. Simultaneous polygamy. Two, three, four, five wives at the same time. 
different places in the city. You know, there are pastors that have wives in Nigeria and they have abroad. I saw that your brother is one of them. That is simultaneous polygamy. One here, one there, the other way. And I know preachers that every city they go to, they have wife there. Preachers. Simultaneous. Then there's the successive polygamy. You know, successive polygamy? You marry one, you drive her away after two years, you get another one, you drive her away, you get another one. They are there. Remember that your brother in South Africa. Remember that your bishop there. And you know you can twist. You can change the word of God. You can make the word of God lose the meaning. You can twist the scriptures. But don't forget what Revelation says. Anybody that adds to this word, perdition shall be added to him. And anyone that takes it away, his own portion shall be taken away from eternal life. Let us build our ministry on the word of God. If you have a revelation and insight, go and compare each scripture with scripture. Stop running with one line of truth. You know that man I was telling about you, polygamist. He will teach beautifully well. But if you ask a question about how many wives a Christian should marry, then he will go to Old Testament. He will tell you that David married many wives. Even Moses divorced and remarried. And he will tell you several. He forgets to tell you that he is the one who has taught all dispensational theology. That that dispensation has passed. We are now in the dispensation of the church. Dispensation of grace. And it, in the dispensation of grace, there are only three laws. Only three laws. All the twelve commandments in the Old Testament, the ten commandments, in the New Testament, under dispensation of grace, it has been reduced to two. Me, I had the third one. You know, in the book of Romans, he says, all these thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murmur, thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not convert. It has been broken down into two. Number one, thou shalt love the Lord your God with your heart, with your soul, with your spirit. Number two, thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. Number three, do as you like. Stand up on your feet. Shefainu and Niketa. Shefainu and Do as you like. Shefainu You are blessed. A prayerless church will become a backsliding church. A prayerless church will be a place where demons will dominate and rule. A prayerless church will be a church that will never go forward. And any church that is not built on the undiluted word of God, that church is built on a sinking sound. You know, Jesus said, he told the story in Matthew chapter 7, that those who are listening to my word, I liken them to two people. Two men, they were builders. One built his house on the sand. The other built his foundation on the rock. If you read that place again, Matthew 7, the same thing happened to them. The one who built his life on the sand, and the one who built his house on the rock. The same thing. Both of them experienced storm. Both of them experience crisis. Both of them experience turbulence. Why the one that constructed his house, his ministry, his future, on the sinking sand, was totally destroyed? The one that built his life, his ministry, on the undiluted word of God, stood the test of time. 
What's the lesson there? All of us shall pass through turbulent times, crisis times, while at times, challenging times. But what will sustain us and our ministry is our foundation. Either it's on the word of God or on the ideas of men. I've seen so many people build their ministry on the ideas of men. But brethren, it's time we come back to build it the way Jesus built it. Of course, so many leaders don't like that because they are a ministry because of their stomach. They are a ministry for prestige. But if you are a ministry because you, number one, wants to get to heaven and you want to take as many people as possible along with you, then you need to build it according to the principles of Jesus. You won't build, you won't put all those principles every day at once, but line upon line, precept upon precept, a little here, a little there, gradually. As we come back tomorrow, I'll be sharing more on that. May the Lord bless you. Raise up your right hand. Lord, help me to follow your principle. Lord Jesus, help me to do the work as you have done it. Help me to build this church according to your church. Not my idea. Open your mouth and pray in the name of Jesus. Let's lift our voice and speak to God. Help me to build according to your specifications. Let's lift our voice and speak to God. Help me to build as you want me to build. Are we praying at all? Let's lift our voice. The grace to build according to your laid down principles. In Jesus name we pray. I want us to take one more prayer before 